Welcome to the Turnaround Mindset Podcast with your hosts, behavioral economist and psychologist Phil Slade and successful business leader and accountant Adam Smith. In these unprecedented times, decisive and fearless leadership is critical to any business transformation. Each week, our hosts will unpack the tough and intimate questions we all face as professionals, offering no-nonsense business advice to those bold enough to think and act differently. Now, here are your hosts, Phil and Adam. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us today at The Turnaround Mindset, and welcome to the final part of this special podcast series. On today's episode, we will be running through the final principles and how to successfully turn around a business. Principles six and seven. Part four already. I know. It's come around quickly, Phil. Great, great. I, I can't believe we've already reached the final stage of this very topical subject. It's also scary to think that the last 10 years of our careers working with organizations to change shape uh, and turn around the business circumstances has been squeezed into just four podcast episodes. It's a little confronting. It, it is, especially the word squeezed. I, I think... <laughs> You know, it does go by very quickly, Phil. I can't believe it, actually, myself. It's uh, it's quite humbling, to say the least, mate. But, Adam, uh, we've covered a lot of ground over the past three weeks with our listeners regarding the fundamental principles and behaviours needed to turn around a troubled business. In part one, we talked about principle one, making sense of the chaos that's strongly focused on the best way to communicate the pathway forward, the turnaround strategy, and the importance of bringing every member of the business along for the journey. In part two, we talked about principle two, improving the transparency around the financial and operational data of the business, and principle three, creating a responsible and accountable culture that makes decisions in alignment with the turnaround strategy. Mm. In part three, we discussed principle four, governance reorganization of the business's organizational structure and business processes, and then principle five, communication and connection that focuses on clear communication strategy and re-establishing relationships within existing customers and your value proposition with new customers. Mm, Look, that's a jam-packed three weeks, Phil. It's crazy. (laughs) My hope is that we've managed to remove a lot of the fear that I've seen with many businesses unsure about their future who go round and round in circles on what they should do to improve performance. You know, it can seriously be overwhelming for many leaders who, in some cases, go into what I'd call as a state of paralysis or a leadership paralysis. Now, by studying the principles and advice that we've talked about over the last three weeks on this podcast, hopefully we've provided our listeners with a logical way forward. Mm. So generally at this stage of a turnaround, a lot of the financial, operational and organizational changes and modifications have been made to ensure the business's survival. Mm. But as part of that survival plan, it's about identifying the right people now critical to the business's success long term. And that is where we come to principle six, Phil, retaining and promoting talent. Retaining talented and motivated employees who truly want to be part of a business's future success. What I'm talking about here is identifying those rising stars that represent the next level of talent within the business. Yeah, look, generally what you are looking for are proactive self-starters who really know how to find solutions to problems quickly and innovatively, right? Emerging leaders are willing to point out the uncomfortable aspects of the corporate culture and the inefficiencies of the business model and offer solutions to how these can be fixed. And that's crucial. It's not Mm. just 
problem identification, it's it's real solution offering as well. Yep. It's also worth noting that whilst solution focused and technically minded individuals are always necessary within a business, not all of them have what it takes to potentially lead a division one day or become part of the executive team. During the initial phases of putting a written plan and a strategy in place, the turnaround leader should use this as a real opportunity to determine who works well with others and those employees that will stay the course. Yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, Another thing to acknowledge here is turnarounds are a unique point in a company's life cycle that really requires a lot more active engagement across the whole business which most employees will not be used to. So in some cases, these emerging leaders we've been talking about here may be joining meetings with the senior management team for the first time in their careers. You know, they they may not have been given that opportunity beforehand. Up until this point, there may not have been an appropriate forum for any sort of one-on-one meetings before the performance downturn had occurred. Mm, And and you can't underestimate the fear (laughs) that comes with that scenario, right? Mm. These emerging leaders that may have been sitting in the business for many, many years almost feel like that that this is their one shot and they don't want to screw it up. And you've got to give them the confidence that they're allowed to make mistakes. They're allowed to just be true to the ideas that you've got and the solutions that you want to present and be focused on solving the problem in a constructive way and don't get sidetracked with the glamour of executives or the power structures that are room. Just be focused on the problem and solving the problem uh, and, and nothing more. Oh, absolutely. Look, when, when you're reshaping and restructuring a business, you know, there will be a need to put people in different roles with different responsibilities. Now, while there will be a strong focus from the senior management on reducing costs and managing capital effectively across the business, at the same time, it's so important for these emerging leaders that the business recognizes it's actually a time to strongly invest in people. You know, and investments cost money. So the investment I'm talking about here is promoting those people you want to stay with you in the business for the long game. Mm, and, and that's the thing that, that a lot of people drop because when you're in that mode of trying to save the business, the last thing you think about is investing more money in people. You're trying to create efficiencies, right? Yeah. But this is not taking your eye off the long game. Um, this is about creating a path forward that's going to be sustainable, right? You know, promoting from within not only provides a clear path to a greater compensation and responsibility it also helps employees feel that they are valued and a crucial part of the company's success it's Mm. you're doubling down on them right the turnaround leaders should recognize that emerging leaders can be identified uh, from the mid to lower levels within the business um, and they're often patiently waiting for the right opportunity to prove themselves and so this is Mm. the perfect time to allow them to prove themselves right being a part of something bigger than themselves actively contributing to reviving the business and collaborating more effectively with their peers and customers can provide the necessary motivation needed to attract and retain talented people. Mm. This becomes your, your retention. It's not just retention, it's attraction, right? Mm. And you can turn this situation right on its head. Um, and the, the reason you want to invest in your people is to ensure there isn't a mass exodus of employees walking out the door at the first signs of a downturn, mm. right? You're wanting to send clear signals across the bow that we are here and we're going we're gonna to kick some serious goals. You know, back to part one, we did talk about the fact that the turnaround leader will need to make tough decisions about people. Yep. 
And in most cases, we'll need to downsize a portion of the workforce. We know, we know that. You know, you've got to reduce costs. You've got to ensure the futures of the, of the business. But if it can be seen publicly that the business is also open about its future plan to doubling down on people, to opening up new opportunities and be open about its finances and at the time when money is tight, be prepared to promote and invest in its remaining team, this will help increase the loyalty and avoid real problems with high attrition in the business. Absolutely, Phil. Look, I think that brings us to the end of principle six uh, on how to turn around a business, leaving us one final principle to discuss. And I think this last one will surprise some of our listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, we've made sense of the chaos. We've improved transparency. We've created a responsible and accountable culture. We've now reorganized governance. We've established a clear communication strategy and connected with new and existing customers. We're now retaining and promoting talent. What could possibly be left to discuss? The answer is innovation, but maybe not the type of innovation most business Mm. owners and business leaders are used to talking about. Mm. Stephen Jeffries once said, innovation is the unrelenting drive to break the status quo and develop anew where few have dared to go. What few people may not realize is that from the very start of any business turnaround, the leadership team and the wider business are always coming from a place of innovation. How can we improve this? How can we do this process at a lower cost? How can we build a cheaper product without substituting quality? How do I automate this process? Should we outsource or take our services offshore? This is all a form of innovation, Phil. Mm, mm. You know, the turnaround leader should recognize that whilst technology and product innovation deliver small caliber advantages to the business in the short term, what is becoming more and more talked about around the world is that management innovation creates an enduring impact on the way work is performed. Mm. And that is our last principle, Phil. Principle seven, fostering management innovation. Yeah, and this is, I think it's really important to know that the innovation that we aren't talking about here is innovation theatre. You know, I've set up three different uh, innovation labs and hubs in different uh, major ASX listed companies, right? And all of them have had a problem with this innovation theatre. You know, the new CEOs and the new executives have used these uh, these new uh, places, hubs, whatever you want to call it, as a as a way of politically leveraging shareholders and communicating things and and they come up with cool new technologies particularly in this new digital age it's usually artificial intelligence or something really cool and sparkly and shiny and that's what they want because they're more in, they're more interested in the idea of innovation than actual innovation which actually can often be really plain and simple and unglamorous and and hands-on and when i think of management innovation, I often think of the words of Henry Ford uh, and when he says, be ready to revise any system, scrap any method, abandon any theory if the success of the job requires it. Mm, mm. I, I love that. It's just at a moment's notice, just be ready to drop what you've done. Don't let the status quo bias kill your future business. Um, look, my, most turnaround businesses will turn their attention in the first instance to investing in product or technology innovation and developing a methodology to deliver quality customer outcomes effectively at a low cost. However, it is the innovation moments that directly relate to the management model 
and the social system of the business that will have the longest sustainable impact on the organization itself. Mm-hmm. Frederick Leroy wrote a great paper called The Concept of Management Innovation that discusses the fact that this type of innovation or administrative innovation, as they like to call it, is a relatively new concept within business. In the paper, it argues great progress in management often leads to significant change in the competitive situation of a business and often gives a sustainable competitive advantage for the pioneer company. So what we're talking about is redesigning the decision architecture, the mm. architecture of, of what people deal with every day in order to make better decisions. Management innovation changes how managers do what they do, mm. not just what they do or what they produce, but how they do it. During a downturn, the turnaround leader should undertake a really careful deconstruction of the managerial principles and the current processes and practices governing workflow to determine whether a new approach can be applied to solve the business's immediate problems. A demand for fresh thinking from management takes fortitude, perseverance, and imagination to maximize the chances of a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. This is not just about improving the structure. This is improving fundamentally the way of working for the business. No, agreed, Phil. Look, it's important to note that management innovations are always underway uh, all the time in the business itself. You know, some work, some fail. The difficulty, I think, is that most businesses aren't even aware that they're going on. Mm. And the main reason is, is that they don't have a formal process in place for fostering management innovation. And with technology or product innovation, it's generally driven by a mix of both internal and external influences to remain competitive. Then, when it's implemented, it generally requires an independent consultant or a group to actually help with the process. Unlike management innovation, it's a gradual and less obvious thing. It normally arises from situations where people are uncomfortable with the current situation and desire to make their company a better place. The inspiration for change in some cases is drawn from an external source or supplier where they may have seen this actually operating within the field that they're in. You know, then they go about creating it, whatever it is, a new design process, a financial management tool, a dashboard, whatever it might be. And then finally, once they've actually created what you'd call like a minimum viable product, you know, it's about validating that new innovation. You know, with anything new, there is a risk that people won't like it, especially within a business. The internal buy-in or validation that's needed for a change to occur in a product or a service is much more important than the external validation that comes with the customers. The reason is that people need to get on board with it internally. Hmm. You know, an executive champion, if you can find the right champion for that type of a change or initiative or innovation, you know, that's actually what's needed. In this case, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the turnaround leader getting behind that type of innovation, Hmm. you know, to make it a lot easier to implement and drive acceptance across the business. Hmm. Leadership and vision, Phil, you know, it's paramount for the turnaround leader to initiate a shift in strategic direction. Mm. And you've got to you've got to accept and expect that there's going to be resistance to those uh, changes. You know, I always find it funny that people feel surprised that when a more efficient process that's going to save time for people still gets resistance from the very people that it's going to help. Mm. Um, but the reality is you've got to remember that those people 
it might be a difficult process, but they've already got that embedded into their automatic processing. They're not actually thinking about these inefficient processes. And you you give them a new process, even if it's better, it means that they're having to now engage their more conscious brain and it's more effortful for them for a while to do this new process until they do it for a bit and realize the benefits of it. There's going to be some resistance to it. And so that just means that be aware that those change managers and change leaders and those those champions that you have around that are going to be able to drive uh, this in a meaningful way throughout the organization are really important for you to keep close. So, Phil, we're talking about management innovation from a theoretical perspective mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Like, where have you seen management innovation really work, you know, in your career? The one that comes to mind immediately is a meat processing works uh, place in Australia that was that was struggling um, to remain profitable. Um, it was started by um, three brothers and uh, was needing to transition uh, their leadership into a new corporate structure. Uh, and in, in doing that, they'd, there was a lot of just family legacy issues that were creating heaps of inefficiencies in the business. But one of those things was that the, the, the delay between the market price and the buy price, the buyers out there in the cattle yards buying the cattle, was, was too low. So what would happen is the market was running and moving faster than the information could get to the buyers where the buyers were paying uh, either slightly too much or slightly too less for the cattle um, to then go into the, the abattoirs and, and, and do the, the, the process of, the, of the, the processing of the meat. So what they were able to do was to create, uh, they brought, brought us in, we helped create a very, very simple data transfer system that was able to cut the communication uh, down uh, significantly to a matter of seconds. They're out in the ground, in the abattoirs, uh, in the cattle yards, in the middle of the country, uh, they were able to have very simple information hit them when they needed it most in order to check what they were, to, to, to ensure that the price that they were bidding on the cattle was relative to what the cattle were going to be worth and then going to be able to on-sell in a, in, a, in a better way. And just simply getting the right data to the right decision makers, so changing where the decision would be. These, these buyers were no longer needing to ring up someone else to confirm a price that they would be then going out that day to um, sell with. They were able to cut that process out they were still line accountable to their managers, but the decision was pushed to the extremities where it made a huge impact on the business. And within six months, they had essentially trebled their profit margin just from better buying practices. And then they started to realize that good information and good decision making uh, around the company started to create all sorts of efficiencies. And it just opened their minds up to what could be possible um, just with the with the, a better uh, changing where the decision points were being made, how they were managing those decision points, tracking and measuring the data that was being fed to them and making sure that the right data was getting to the right people at the right time. To me, that's a great example of management innovation. Yeah, look, working with government and you know semi-private organisations for a long period of time, one of the big issues that I have come across a number of times in my career has been uh, when you're running complicated programs is having the right level of transparency all the way down to a project level. So I think complex programs of work where you're running large, multiple number of projects at any one time, they're complicated, there's all sorts of scope issues, problems with people transferring in and out of projects all the time, not sure whether you're actually running uh, at a profit or a loss, there are cost overruns, there's scope adjustments occurring all the time through the projects. 
But when you're looking at it at a program level, you may not have actually recognized where you were bleeding, where your inefficiencies lies, and where the, uh, where the improvements can be made. And I think I've seen in a number of occasions in my career, management step up and say, in the absence of having the right financial systems in place, I am going to go about creating my own tool here, which will actually help improve transparency, will actually help us recognize and highlight where we're bleeding, where we could actually make direct improvements at a project level. And they were able to essentially run a really, really complicated program more effectively by putting in place a new technology that actually gave the senior management and the board of directors that level of transparency required to run an effective program. Mm, Yeah, and I think on that sort of vein, I I think, you know, we've also seen in financial services industries uh, where both in banking and insurance, in particular, and in superannuation to a degree, where they've had to really look at the ethics and the fair behavior of their products as they relate to their customers. So um, one of the banks and insurers sort of partnered with us in order to develop what we call the BEPA, which is the Behavioral Economics Ethical Product Assessment, which is not just a, a thing, but it's a process of meeting with key stakeholders and product developers and decision makers around a assessment or a document which is able to look at um, in a sort of a non-biased way where cognitive bias and, and other um uh, market conditions and decision architectures might be leading customers to make poor financial decisions, which may then, um, which, which the company may be responsible for and held to be responsible for in the future. Um, and what happens, the problem with a lot of these products when there's that sort of fear is that fear creates uh, a freeze in the middle. So you get this decision making frozen middle. Uh, on your organization, which becomes very hard to push stuff through because they're scared. They don't want to do the wrong thing. The ramifications of doing something wrong far outweigh the benefits of, of getting something right. So they, they don't do anything at all. Uh, and so by having these uh, regular uh, meetings, you know, uh, with, with different stakeholders around this tool that was creating uh, a, a genuine um, ethical assessment of how products and services were sitting Uh, from a fairness perspective in relation to the customers meant that they had a black and white document that they could discuss, um, openly argue about whether it was valid or not, and then make decisions from. So it really unlocked the decision-making process and led to other innovations and actually Mm. led to a more innovative piece because the, the so what's became really obvious then. What was a risk uh, a management innovation process that was based around risk and internal decision making turned into product innovation. So, Phil, we've reached a point now in the turnaround where all seven principles have been applied and implemented in the business. You know, and an enormous part of quantitative and qualitative change have taken place. And if the business has remained diligent with their written plan, the organization hopefully is now successfully transitioning from crisis to recovery. At this point, it's important that the leadership team continues to rethink 
and redefine its business strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Too many businesses define themselves by the products they sell or the markets in which they operate. Coming through a turnaround you know, helps many organizations realize how agile they really do need to be mm-hmm. in response to the ever-changing needs of the customer as well as the speed of the technology occurring within the market. Mm-hmm. So if you get this right, you know, and with the business fundamentals already re-established, the organization will have a high level perspective of its key strengths and areas that require improvement, right? Mm. So leadership can then direct its attention to uh, strategically invest in new capability and tools that will sustain the business and broaden its services for the future. I think the important thing to remember here, Phil, is for the business not to jump too quickly to sustainable solutions, you know, despite the long hours that everyone's gone through and grinding it out every day, and they're starting to see a steady improvement in the business's situation. You know, the sun's only been out for a little while now. You know, employees and management are starting to see that a lot of the seeds they planted are finally coming in for harvest, you know. Uh, Jamel Saunders said it best, you know, the turnaround happens when you learn to thrive despite the adversity. Mm. Returning an organization to its core service offering gives leadership the opportunity to focus on optimizing the business's foundations, building an adaptable cross-functional team, and creating a framework for continuous improvement. So there you have it, folks. We hope you've gained a lot from this four-part special series on how to turn your business from failing to thriving. Please remember, you know, turning around a business, as much as we can fit it into four episodes, really isn't a one-size-fits-all process. It is complicated and nuanced and emotional and has all sorts of ups and downs and and there's all sorts of pitfalls and, and so much that you can learn from other people that have gone through this process. So if you'd like to talk to us further about your business and your circumstances, just contact us at theturnaroundmindset.com. Theturnaroundmindset.com. Uh, we are there. There's emails on the site. There's all sorts of ways that you can reach out to us. Please, please, please reach out. Um, the longer you wait to talk about it, the harder it is going to be to turn it around. The earlier you can talk, uh, the better it is going to be for you and for your business, for your customers and your employees. But until then, see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Turnaround Mindset Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes, Google or Spotify. Hit subscribe and share the podcast with someone you think would benefit from it. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating. To download this episode and access other relevant content, please visit our website, www.theturnaroundmindset.com. Join us next week for another Turnaround Mindset episode. And remember, the only way it gets better for you is when you get better.